I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. I want us to take some time this morning to think about the good news of the resurrection Paul here in his letter to the church at Corinth calls it the gospel. The word gospel means good news. And if you were with us Friday evening, we talked about how that good news includes the fact that Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. His death upon the cross was taking your sin upon himself and dying in your place. But you know, there are many people who have died in your place. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus Christ is not the only one who died in your place. We've had in our own country many men and women throughout the last two centuries, a little bit more, who have died in your place so that you could be free to worship God this morning. There have been mothers and fathers throughout the centuries who have died so that their children could have life and have, have finances and have a home and have wonderful things. Jesus is not the first person, nor is He the last person who ever died in your place. Although it is good news that He died in our place. That's just part of the good news when it comes to Christ. And that's why we don't just stop our celebration during the week and say, well, praise the Lord, He died for my sins. Although that is absolutely important. But without the second piece that we celebrate this morning, the first piece would have far less significance. And that is the other piece that without it, the gospel is incomplete and that He rose again the third day according to... The scriptures, the good news of the resurrection. The good news is that Jesus died for your sin. The good news is that Jesus rose again the third day. A little bit further in 1 Corinthians 15, if you look at verse 12, the Bible says, Now if Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, how say some among you, that there is no resurrection of the dead. This is interesting because as Paul was writing this letter to these people in the city of Corinth, a very famous city in its day, this is really just a few years, not that long at all, since the actual resurrection of Jesus Christ. And already by this time, the lies, the rumors had spread to the place that there were many people that said, well... We don't know if he really rose from the dead. Do you know what some of the lies that were being spread about that were? Some of the lies are still being spread today that, 
Well, they just stole his body away. Yes, he died. We agreed that he died. We all saw that he died, but they stole his body away. Did you know that they actually, the religious leaders of that day, to try to cover up the resurrection, they paid people off to go around and spread false stories and lies to say that Jesus really hadn't risen from the dead, that his disciples had stolen away his body to try to make his believers believe in the fact that he really had risen from the dead. That was a lie that was spread during that day. You know, it's amazing how lies sometimes take better hold than the truth does. I think part the main reason for that is, is there is a power in this world that is not a good power. It's an evil power. His name is the prince of the power of the air. The Bible refers to him as the father of lies, the great deceiver himself, Satan, who wants people to believe that Christ did not rise again. And yet all of the evidence points to the fact that Jesus Christ did come back to life, that he rose again. In fact, the scripture details many, much of this evidence in the fact that he was seen multiple times by his disciples, but also by many other people after he had died. They saw him alive. They saw him walking and talking, and he ministered with them. There were so many eyewitnesses that saw him alive, and yet a couple liars who were just paid to lie Their rumors had spread so far that people were believing those lies as opposed to the eyewitness accounts of the many who had seen the risen Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 13, we begin a list of things that help us to understand the significance of the resurrection. Why is this so important? And listen as I read because he begins by giving us a whole bunch of things that would be true if the resurrection were not true. Listen very carefully as I read. Verse 13, but if there be, so let's think about this for a minute. If there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? We can agree to that, right? If if there is no resurrection, then Christ surely is not risen. And in verse 14, he says, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. You say, oh, I knew it. Preaching is foolishness. It's a waste of time. Why are we all sitting here this morning while this guy gets up and tries to preach to us this morning? I always knew preaching was boring. I always knew it was empty and it was a waste of time. Well, you would be correct if the resurrection were false. And in fact, the Bible even refers to preaching as foolishness. It says, but by the foolishness of preaching is how people hear the truth of God's word and how they hear the truth of the gospel. But without the resurrection, preaching is pointless. But he continues on in verse 14. He says, our preaching is vain and your faith is also vain. There are a lot of people today who would say they believe in God that won't even be in a church service this morning. I don't need to hear preaching to believe in God. That might be true, but if there's no resurrection, 
Your faith is vain. It's empty. It's empty. The resurrection has great significance for us because without the resurrection, there's no risen Christ. Without the resurrection, preaching is pointless. Without the resurrection, your faith is vain. And in verse 15, he says, Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God. Without the resurrection, we're all liars. False witnesses, those are liars. I don't think anybody walk around and say, well, I just want everybody to know I'm a liar. But if we're here this morning and the resurrection's not real, then we're all just lying to ourselves and to everybody else. We all got dressed up and came to church, look at me on Easter Sunday, but we're just telling a lie. Boy, the resurrection has great significance. Your faith is also vain. Verse 15, we're found false witnesses of God. Listen, he says, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up. Sounds to me that not only are we liars, but God is a liar too. We're saying God did something that He couldn't do. But you know, as you think about the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not the first time that God brought something from dead to life. Say, what was the first time? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God took something that was nothing and He made something. You see, our God is a God that is a giver of life. Our God is a God who has great power to take dead things and make them alive. He says, If so be that the dead rise not. Verse 16, he reminds us once again, For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. The resurrection has great significance for us today. Not just because preaching would be pointless. Some of you might feel that way already. Not just because Christ would not be risen. Not just because your faith would be in vain. But here it teaches us without the resurrection we have no hope. He says you are yet in your sin. What does it mean to be yet in your sin? Well, the Scripture is very clear. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none that doeth good, right? The Bible says all our righteousness is as filthy rags. The wages of sin is what? Death. You're yet in your sin. So that means you are yet in a position where you deserve and will receive death. If the resurrection did not take place. In verse 18, this is a really sad thought to ponder. If the resurrection's not real, then those who died believing in Jesus Christ will never rise again either. Look at what he says here. He says, Then also they, verse 18, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. Some of you, some of us, have lost loved ones in the last year 
or two or three or ten. We've all lost loved ones at some point in time. Without the resurrection, there's no hope for them and no hope for us. Without the resurrection, there's no hope. Verse 19, he takes it even another step. He says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we, we are of all men most miserable. It's a miserable life to try to follow a religion that has a dead leader. Because you're going through and doing all of these things. But at the end of it all, it's just death. With nothing beyond this life but death, then living for something other than this life is just a miserable waste of time. The resurrection has great significance, doesn't it? Without it, there's no hope. Some of you might be looking ahead, and if you are, look at verse 20. But now. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. He is alive. Yes, the good news of the resurrection is that your sins can be forgiven. The significance of the resurrection is that without it, we'd all be miserable. There'd be no point to this life. But there's great hope in the resurrection this morning. There is great hope in the resurrection. There's hope for you. There's hope for your loved ones. There's hope for those who have gone on before us who died believing in Jesus Christ. There is hope for you this morning. And your hope is in the resurrected Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ today. That's where your hope is found because Christ is alive. He is risen from the dead. And look at down verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For as in Adam all die. We're all born out of the line of Adam. Sure, we're all human beings. But he says, As in Adam all die. What does he say? Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. The hope of the resurrection is that Christ is alive. And those who are in Christ are also alive. Alive not just for this life, but alive for eternity. Christ makes all in Him alive. You say, well, that sounds like good news. Let's pack it up and go home. That was the shortest Easter sermon I've ever heard. And it is good news, but here's the reality. We all have a problem. And that problem is something we're all born with that keeps us from being alive in Christ. You say, I thought you just read, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. 
but there's a really important word in there. You, you might miss it because it's the shortest word in that whole verse. It's the word in. Two letters, I-N. In Christ. You must be in Christ to be made alive. You say, well, aren't we all in Christ? No, let me refer you back to the verse. We are in Adam. We were born that way. As in Adam, all die. So how can something that's in Adam be in Christ? You were born in Adam. There was a man in the Bible who struggled with that question. His name was Nicodemus. He was a very wise man. He had studied religion. He kept himself very pure in his lifestyle. But he had heard Jesus teaching on this, that you had to believe in Christ and confess your sin to be saved. He came to Jesus by night. And Jesus looked at him and he said, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Nicodemus says, well, how can I do that? I've already been born once. Can I go back into my mother's womb? That'd be scary. I only want to do that one time, right? And every mother in here only wants to do that once with each child. Don't ever do that again. Hey, Nicodemus, it's kind of funny to think about, but when Christ says, be born again, what else would he think? And Christ says, well, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. You've been born of the flesh. Everybody has. But he said, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Says, you don't need to enter into your mother's womb and be born again of water from your mother. No, you need to be born of the Spirit. We're all born in Adam, but we must be born again to be in Christ. We have a problem. In fact, back in our chapter where we've been looking in 1 Corinthians 15, it's described this way in verse 50. He says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, that's, that's our bodies, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's the problem. Flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. I look around, I see a lot of flesh and blood today. That, that's what we're made out of. And then he finishes the verse by saying, Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. What's corruption? That's dead things rotten things. It can't inherit incorruption. You can't take something that's rotten and make it fresh. Fresh things become rotten, but it doesn't work the other way around. That's our problem. Look down a couple more verses to 1 Corinthians 15, 53. There's this problem, but there's also a requirement that, he's, that he details for us. He says, For this corruptible, that's our flesh, must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. We're born in Adam, but to be in Christ is where life comes from. The problem is we are all flesh and we're all corrupt. We're all sinners. We've all broken God's law. And the require, requirement is this, that the sinner has to put on sinlessness. The mortal has to put on immortality. We see this in our, a lot of kids' movies and comic books that come out, right? The mortal puts on immortality. He gets bit by a spider. 
he has some encounter out in the mountains of East Asia. And the mortal puts on immortality. He gets hit by a, a laser beam. Or gets kidnapped by aliens. And the mortal puts on immortality. I think everybody enjoys the story about mortals being able to become immortal. In fact, I think it's part of the desire of every human being because they know death is coming to put on immortality. But this morning, we ought not to be going around and just trying to find a spider to bite us. That'd be foolish, right? Fun in the comics, foolish in real life. We don't need to go out in the mountains somewhere and have an experience in the woods. Maybe fun and interesting, but it doesn't give you eternal life. We don't need to stand outside with a tinfoil hat and say, Come get me aliens. I, I want immortality. Even though that might be interesting, it wouldn't give us immortality. But is it any different when people live their lives just for pleasure and to fulfill whatever desires they have in their life? In a sense, they're searching for immortality, but they're doing it through corruptible means. I think the desire of all flesh is to become immortal. And that's the requirement, to be in Christ. How do dead things become alive? How does something mortal become immortal? When well, verse 57 of 1 Corinthians 13, 50, or 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57, he gives us the solution. He says, but thanks be to God. See, you can't put on immortality yourself. There, there's no power that you might find laying around on the ground or in some secret method or book that you just haven't read yet. No, the, the power is described for us right here in the Word of God. The power comes from above, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not here today because we're celebrating the great resuscitation of a sleeping man. No, we are here today to celebrate the great resurrection of our Savior who died and is now alive. He died, yes, he, he was buried for three days. And three nights he lay in the grave, not sleeping, not in a coma. He was dead. His heart stopped. They wrapped him in grave clothes. He, he couldn't have breathed even if he wanted to, wrapped up in all of that stuff. But when they opened the tomb, not they, when the angels, right, opened the tomb that day, when the tomb rolled away, what was inside? Just some empty grave clothes wrapped up and folded and with the napkin that had been over his face laid off to the side. I want to take you back to that day, that day that Jesus rose again. 
And I want you to be able to see it through the eyes of the first person, the first eyewitness who saw her resurrected Lord. Her name was Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, when you study her in Scripture, she was a woman who had been possessed by seven demons. And when Christ met her, He cast those demons out. And from that point on, Mary began to follow Jesus. In fact, she's mentioned, along with several other ladies, as helping even to support Jesus and His disciples financially and help them in their journeys as they ministered. Mary Magdalene was close with Jesus and His disciples. In fact, Mary is one of only a few people who were standing there at the cross when Christ was crucified. If you read the biblical accounts, there was Mary, the mother of Jesus there. There was Mary, the relative of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was there. And there was a third Mary, Mary Magdalene, who was there. There was also one of Jesus' 12 disciples, a man by the name of John. Think about this. Just a few days earlier, Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem with thousands crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. The King has come. But at the cross that day, there were only four. Four that loved Him and followed Him. Sure, there were lots of soldiers and the religious leaders that mocked Him and jeered and beat Him. But there were just four, and one was Mary Magdalene. The Bible also tells us that Mary was there when Jesus' body was taken down from the cross and when it was prepared by Joseph of Arimathea and placed into his tomb. Mary knew exactly where her Lord was buried. And it was Mary and some of the other ladies who then early on Sunday morning, after the Sabbath was passed, they came... The Bible says in John 20, On the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early. When it was yet dark, the sun had not even risen yet, unto the sepulcher. And seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Can you imagine? You saw him buried there, and you come back three days later, and the stone's gone. It's rolled away. The tomb is empty. What did she do? The Bible says she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John right there. And saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid Him. I mean, what else could she believe in that moment? Somebody stole His body. They've taken Him away. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher and he stooping down and looking in saw the linen clothes lying. Yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter. Here comes old Simon following him and he went into the sepulcher and see the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head not lying with the linen clothes but wrapped together in a place by itself. When they came into the tomb that day, it was not the picture of 
some people who had hurriedly rushed in and stolen away the body of the Lord. No, it was as if the clothes were there just compressed in on themselves because there was no body in them anymore. The napkin that had been around his head is folded, wrapped up, placed over to the side, carefully laid aside. Some have pointed out as if to say, I'm coming again. And it says, then when also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher and he saw, and John, it says, he believed. He believed. He believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again into their own home. Peter and John, they run up, they see the empty tomb, they see the grave clothes. Wow, they believed, but then they went home. But what did Mary do? It says, Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping. Why do you think she wept? Do you think she wept because she was remembering where she was when Jesus found her? Do you think perhaps she wept because she remembered all of the wonderful things that Christ had done and that He had taught while He was with her? Do you think she wept because she was remembering what it looked like and sounded like as she watched Him die and she knew He was dying for her sin? Do you think she wept because she had seen Him buried and she was sorrowful that this one that she loved so much, who had done so much for her, now was laid in the ground? Do you think she wept because the tomb was empty and she didn't even know where they had taken His body? How traumatic would that be? Mary wept. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And seeth two angels in white sitting. I don't want to get off track too much, but it makes you wonder why the two angels were sitting there when Mary looked in, but not there when Peter and John went in. Clearly, Mary loved her Lord very much. I think those who have been forgiven much love much. Those who have been saved from great hurt and great pain have a deep abiding love for their Lord. And the Lord loved Mary very much. And He sent those two angels. They were sitting, the one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why weepest thou? You think, what a foolish question. She's there in a cemetery, in the tomb of the Lord. Why are you crying? Could you imagine going to the cemetery today and walking around and finding people next to the grave? What are you crying for? What are you crying for? No, we wouldn't do that. They'd probably throw us out. Maybe throw you in jail. There's a crazy person down here. It would be crazy if the resurrection wasn't real. That would be a crazy, foolish, hard-hearted question to ask if the resurrection wasn't true. Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have lain him. 
And when she said thus, she turned herself back. Can you imagine? She pulls away those two angels sitting there in the two. I don't know where they've laid him. And she turns around and her eyes are filled with tears. And she looks up and it says, she saw Jesus standing. She saw Jesus standing, but she knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her. These are the first words he spoke to any person that we have recorded. He looked at her and he said, woman, why weepest thou? The same question again. I think he was trying to make a point, don't you? Why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast lain him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. It's a powerful thing when Jesus calls your name, isn't oh, it? Yeah. Mary. You know, he knows your name. Mary. Mary. And it was at that moment she knew who he was. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. And Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren, say to them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and to your God. Did you know that God knows your name? The Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world. That includes you. He says that God is not willing that any should perish. That includes you and me. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Many of you know what it is to visit a cemetery. In fact, one of the most well-known cemeteries in all of our country is Arlington National Cemetery. It's over 400,000 men and women buried there. Many great heroes of our nation. There's over 3 million people that visit this cemetery every year to pay their respects, to visit the place where their loved ones are buried. I would say... that it would be true that every one of those people in one way or another died
for you and me. Died so that we could be here today. They died for freedom so that we could worship the Lord freely. They, they died so that we could have a nation and be together. But something they couldn't die for, they couldn't die for your sin. I'm so thankful for the people that are buried in this place. And you go just down the road here up to the Veterans Cemetery and you can find another place full of people who gave their lives, paid the ultimate price so that we could have the freedom we have today. They couldn't die for your sin because every person that's buried in those cemeteries was a sinner themselves. And every single person in this room this morning, including the one that's talking, is a sinner. I want you to see a picture of another place where people have been buried. This is known as the garden tomb. And many believe this was the place where Christ was buried. As you know, there are many, many millions of visitors every year that come to visit this place. Maybe some of you have been there. I haven't, but many of my friends have. You know the difference between this tomb and those other tombs we just looked at. The difference between this one and the others is this one's empty. It's empty. Both places hold great significance because of the death of those who, who died and were placed in those various tombs and are there at Arlington and at Veterans Cemetery and all, all these places. Even our own loved ones who have died and are buried all over the place in different Small, maybe country cemeteries or big city cemeteries or whatever. All those hold great significance for us. But every other grave has somebody that was buried in it and they stayed dead. This is the only one where this person came back to life and never died again. There might be the critic this morning say, well, what about Lazarus? That'd be an empty tomb. But you know, not that long after, Lazarus died and was put back in that tomb. Or another one very similar to it. Every person that has died, they say, well, they came back. They've been put, they've died. They've stayed dead. Physically. Only Jesus Christ. grave but if you go to the author and finisher of our faith yeah. and find his grave this morning you'd find it to be empty there's great hope in the resurrection if what you've heard this morning is new to you or is something you've heard a thousand times
It is something that says that Jesus is alive. He rose again. I'm concerned, though, because this problem is real. Our flesh and blood, your flesh and blood, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Corruption does not inherit incorruption. Your sin separates you from God. Yes, in Christ, all shall be made alive. My question to you this morning is, are you in Christ? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you are in Christ this morning? Not just because you came to church. Not just because, well, I, I, I remember one time I prayed a prayer. No. Do you know that you're in Christ because of what Christ did for you? Is your faith in Him or is it in you? Is it in what you've done? What you're trying to do? What you hope to do someday? Our hope today is in Christ and in Christ if you're here this morning and you're not sure about that, if you've never had a time that you've put your faith in Christ in just a moment, we're going to have the piano played and we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes and I'm going to invite you to trust in Christ. You've heard the good news this morning, the gospel. You've heard that Jesus saves. He died for your sin and He rose again you can have how many of you here this morning would say by a raise of hand that pastor if my life were over today I know for sure for sure that I'm trusting in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior I know that I'm on my way to heaven. Would you be able to give a testimony of that this morning? Amen. So many people all across the room. Thank you. You can put your hands down. We praise the Lord for that. and We celebrate the power of the resurrection rotten old sinners. You might be here this morning and you may have raised your hand or maybe you couldn't raise your hand, but if you were honest you'd know that you're not in Christ today. You've never trusted Christ as your Savior. If you're here this morning like that, again, I'm the only one looking around. Would you lift your hand so I could pray for you this morning? Pastor, I'm, I don't know if I'm in Christ. Nobody's looking. Just lift a hand real quick, slip it up and slip it down. I'd like to pray for you. Thank you. God bless you. This is between you and God, but I want to pray for you that you would make sure you're right with God this morning. Lord, you've seen the hands, but Lord, more importantly, you see the heart. You see what I cannot see. God, this morning, we ask that you would continue to do your work in our hearts, in the heart of this, these ones who have raised their hand to say that they need to trust Christ. I pray that they would trust in you. They would ask you to forgive them. You've promised to do it. You've done all the work. It's finished. 
But we must trust. The Bible says, by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, if you raised your hand to indicate that you needed to be saved, or maybe you didn't this morning, I want to encourage you to trust in God. Tell the Lord that you're a sinner, that you cannot get to Him on your own and ask Him to forgive. He says, if you'll come to me, I will never, I will in no wise cast you out. Would you pray to Christ this morning and ask Him to save you? Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I know I cannot do this on my own, and I want to be in Christ. I want to know that I have eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed and asked the Lord to save you, in just a moment, when the service is completed, I'll be standing in the back, and I'd love to visit with you and just be able to shake your hand and congratulate you. It's the best decision in all the world to trust in Jesus Christ. And you can know that you have eternal life, and I'd like to be able to help you answer any questions, help you with whatever you're facing in your life. I tell people this all the time. I may not have all the answers, but I know the one who does. I don't have unlimited resources myself, but the one who does is my heavenly Father. And I'd love to be able to help you grow with Him. Father, thank you for your work that you're doing today, that you did today, and that you will do in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.